2: to meet him say to me Shepherd all Israel Oh, tell us, are you the one To lead your sheep? High and low High and low Rich and poor Rich and poor One with another Go out and sing. Are you here that should come? shepherd all israel oh tell us are you the one to lead your sheep oh tell us are you the one to lead your sheep oh tell us are you the one to lead your
0: I'm jenny i'm going to be reading scripture with you all tonight <laughs> uh, we're going to be reading revelation 4 1 through 5 14 um, that's the last book in your bible so if you'll take a minute to turn there and if you're able to will you please stand for the reading of god's word Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was as if it were a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: God. So we are looking at the book of Revelation during Advent, and um, that's a little bit odd. You might be asking, why are we looking at the book of Revelation? And the answer is because the season of Advent is a season of waiting. Um, Traditionally, uh, the church has spent the the next four weeks waiting for him to be born. Uh, It's a time of yearning and longing. There's a lot of songs in the minor key. A lot of our liturgy has that uh, feeling to it of kind of groaning for him to come back. And Revelation's the perfect book because Revelation is about waiting and groaning and longing with all of creation for the return uh, of Christ. Just as Israel waited for him to come the first time, uh, we are now waiting, like Israel, for him to come again. So that's why Revelation is so helpful. Uh, I love the movie 1917. and It's a movie about World War I. The very first scene begins with Private Schofield, this British uh, soldier, he's leaning against the trees in Belgium, he's ready to go uh, and fight um, the Germans, and he's scared, he knows it might be the end of him, he's about to enter into no man's land, and it shows him gazing at a photograph uh, of his wife and young child, and uh, and the, the, the movie ends with him also looking at that photograph. Uh, and it's, it's the longing for that home uh, that pulled him through the fight. When everything seemed lost and there was no hope at all, uh, it's that photograph that uh, drug him through no man's land. Uh, and Revelation is somewhat similar to that, except that it's not a little photograph. It's uh, it's more like a gallery of massive paintings, like the Sistine Chapel, um, these humongous... Uh, cinematic, spectacular uh, paintings. There was a painter uh, that is very little known, a British painter named John Martin. And I, I encourage you to Google him, even now, if you want to, you can do that. And, and if you type in John Martin, uh, British painter, uh, he was painting in the early 1800s, and he had these, like, huge... Uh, there was one that was 45 feet, the canvas. Just massive paintings of, of these... Uh, apocalyptic events, and the most famous one is the Great Day of His Wrath, where it shows what the world will be like on Judgment Day. He also had one of the Flood and of Vesuvius, Pompeii, um, and uh, they're spectacular. And uh, that's what Revelation is like. It's like these gigantic paintings, and it changes your perception of reality. I mean, even when Ginny read that, uh, it was already beginning to alter the way that I experienced uh, reality, Because you realize that's really what's going on. Um, and I want to look at the, the two parts of this uh, incredible uh, depiction of reality. Uh, number one, the throne, chapter four. And number two, the lamb, chapter five. So first, the throne. Um, the throne, I've never really known what exactly this is. Like, I, I know kind of generally what's going on, but when is this happening? And it's not entirely clear. Scholars are all over the place about this. I know that it's not just heaven. So we might think of it heaven, like one day we're going to get there and we're going to be around this throne. But it's not that. Uh, it's, it's kind of like this movie that's playing over and over again in a loop that is the center of reality. Because when John saw that, verse 1, I looked and behold, an open door. Uh, that's going on then. It's happening then. It's encouraging him as an exile on the island of Patmos, working in these uh, terrible mines, um, completely abandoned and lost. And it's helping him to go through this door, like the portal, if you've seen Stranger Things, it's this portal that is an opening into the upside down, this other world that is right on the other side of reality. It's like this thin veil. Um, It's overlapping, it's an overlapping reality. It's coexisting with this right now. This is happening right now. And all we can see with our eyes and all we can ever detect with any scientific instrument is 4% of reality. Uh, Scientists know they know very, very little. The good scientists know. They know extremely small amount of uh, information about reality. And and Revelation is giving us the 96% that we cannot see. But it uh, it it is real. It is hard and sharp and heavy as matter. It is not wispy clouds and air and white light. It is not the heaven that you tend to think of. Uh, Verse 2, he says, Instantly I was in the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit drew him in and he saw a throne. That's the first thing he sees. And uh, the, the whole depiction is radically theocentric. In other words, God is at the center of reality. And not only is God the center of reality, but everything is facing the throne. All of creation is facing the throne. So if you're facing away from the throne and you're not thinking about the throne, you're out of touch with reality. And that actually is really harmful to the soul. And he looks at the throne in verse two and there is someone sitting on the throne. And someone is very important there. This is not the universe that a lot of people talk about today who are spiritual. They'll talk about the universe or they'll talk about the force or they'll talk about energy. But this is not impersonal. This is someone. So, it's somebody, it's a, it's a person, but it is not just a person. It's not at all anthropocentric. It is not human-centered. It is not, there's no face, there's no shape. In fact, God is very clear in the Old Testament that, that you saw no face, you saw no form, do not try to depict me. Um, so it is, uh, it is personal, but it is beyond personality. When I first read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, the chapter on beyond personality was riveting, because it was a depiction of something that is bigger than a person um, that is not human, something bigger than a person. It's almost like a conversation or a dance. But we always think about God as, uh, as smaller than human. I mean, I understand that we shouldn't think of God as human. God's not human, not like a grandfather in the sky, but it's more than human. It's not less than human. The force and energy in the universe, that's less than human. He's more than human. The only thing that's ever been proposed in the history of the world for something more than human is this thing we call now the Trinity, which they didn't use that word. It's not in the Bible. But I mean, look at this passage, verse 5 of chapter 4, in front of the throne. So you have the throne itself and someone sitting on the throne. That's the Father. And then around in front of the throne in verse 5 are seven torches with burning fire, which are the sevenfold Spirit of God. That's the New Living Translation. The sevenfold spirit. It's the fullness of spirit. So you've got the throne, and in front of the throne, you have this, this thing that's like the sevenfold spirit of God, uh, which is another person. That's another person. And then if you go to chapter 5, verse 6, it says amidst the throne. So in front of the throne, you have the spirit, and then in the midst of the throne, a lamb with seven eyes, which is the sevenfold spirit. So somehow... but. The Father and the Son together, the Spirit proceeds from the two of them. It's an overflow of their love. It's like the way that a mother and a father produce a child. It's just the overflow of their love. The Spirit is produced by the overflow of the Father and the Son. And that is beyond personality. I mean, who could have ever come up with this idea of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? The only comparison that John can make is to precious gems that are just staggering in their beauty. Uh, Verse 3, as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian, green and red. It's like the the northern lights. Have you ever seen images of the northern lights? Or maybe you've been to the northern lights. It's just a a spectacular sunset. Uh, That's all that John can, the only words he can grasp at are those kind of words. Verse 13, the glow of emerald encircled the throne. Kind of like a double rainbow in in the midst, like just this, awesome depiction of this, um, this thing filled with color and light. And now, from the throne and the spirit and the lamb, the painter begins to work outward. So it's like, I grew up watching Bob Ross, uh, and when Bob Ross paints, uh, he starts like with a little tree, and then he starts to work out from that. And so the first thing that we see here on the canvas is this, um, this painting of the throne. And then right outside the throne... And this is the very first circle out. This is really amazing. That the, the verse 4 says 24 thrones surrounded him with 24 elders, clothed in white with gold crowns. And all commentaries agree. This is, this is a depiction of all human beings that are in heaven with the Lamb, with the Father, with the Spirit. Uh, this is humanity, redeemed humanity. Uh, the fullness, 24, 12 uh, tribes of Israel. Twelve apostles, it represents the fullness of God's people across all time and space. And everybody that you ever look at is around that throne, uh, or is potentially around that throne. As C.S. Lewis says, there are no mere mortals. You never interact with someone who is a mere mortal. That if you were to um, meet someone uh, that was in this state of glory, uh, you would be tempted to fall down and worship them like an angel. And this pertains to anyone you meet. So we live uh, we live in this place where we almost, multiple times a day I go down to the, the Academy and Peters Creek intersection where the BP is. And I find it incredibly easy to judge the people I see around me. Um, just like hair trigger sensitivity to judging the people that I see around me. And this is where I need this to like, reconfigure reality to me that those are people that are potentially going to be around the throne. and They're the the very first circle. Notice that they're even presented before the angels. They're presented before the four living creatures. They're the only ones on the throne. So they're ruling with God in glory. And that's every person that we meet. Um, They're in this uh, verse five, this kind of vortex, this volcano of holiness with lightning flashing and thunder rumbling and smoke everywhere. And we live in a, in, a, in a world, in a culture, uh, this empire we live in that says to us, uh, you're insignificant, you're this uh, kind of fleeting speck of foam on a wave that just appears for a second, like when you see a wave crash and that little foam appears and disappears. That's all we're told we are. You know, a lot, a lot of scientists will tell us that, um, that we're nothing more than mere animals. Uh, in fact, now it's so bad that with this multiverse theory, we're told that uh, you're only one of a trillion versions of yourself in multiple universes. So That's even more depressing, uh, how incredibly insignificant the world tells us we are. And Jesus says, no, you are ruling on the throne uh, around the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that we are, we are dangerous to evil uh, because we have the authority of Christ. And uh, we have the power to do so much good in the world. Because we are on these thrones and uh, we are ruling with these uh, mighty creatures all around us swirling around us are these mighty creatures, but we are the ones uh, on the throne. And so a lot of times Christmas becomes uh, nostalgic and uh, we think about years past, our children are now out of the house and so, There could be a tendency for us to think, well, we had to go by the tree by ourselves and our children were not there. And so we miss that. Or to a lot of people, they don't even want to say Merry Christmas because Christmas is so painful because they've lost a loved one. Uh, Like going to a party might be agonizing because it doesn't feel, it can be the time that's the worst time of the year. I know people for whom it is the worst time of the year. And this is telling us that uh, that's not what Christmas is ever about anyway, that the best is yet to come. And that um, our real destiny, what we're really waiting for, is to be around that throne, on our thrones. And even now we're beginning to feel that as believers. Uh, With these living creatures, verse 6, which nobody knows what they are. I would love to see someone with CGI, like the highest level of CGI, try to depict these things. Um, Some people think they're seraphim, some think they're cherubim. Um, some Some of them call these things the personification of nature, They get a whole lot of uh, text. If you notice, it kind of goes on and on about the four living creatures. So they're a big deal. Uh, They have these four faces that are constantly gazing. So they are also, each one of them, the four of them have four faces. So they are also larger than um, kind of a a mere person. They're multi-personal. Their eyes are are constantly open. They have eyes everywhere. They're blinking. They have these six wings and they're all flapping. Uh, They're darting around. And uh, they are, I would guess, the most powerful creatures that God made, the cherubim or the seraphim or whatever these are. And what they do, the most powerful creature that God ever made, um, they, are, they form a tidal wave of adoration, because that's what they do, is essentially they are adoring, they are worshiping creatures. And it kind of is building way off on the horizon, if you've seen a really big wave Maybe in a surfing documentary and you see this wave beginning to form on the horizon. That's what the four living creatures are doing. They're forming this gigantic wave Uh, day after day, verse 8, night after night. They keep saying, holy, holy, holy. Right now, they're doing this. The four living creatures are doing this. They are worshiping God. And um, that is what it means to be glorious. Uh, That we get to join them in this. I saw a documentary about a 50-foot wave. And you saw all these people trying to surf it. And, uh, you know, they were like the size of an ant. If you've seen a 50-foot wave. And these uh, four living creatures uh, begin this gigantic wave where we are, we are called to, like, be up on the top of that wave and to kind of to, to almost, like, surf that wave down. Verse 9 says, uh, when, they give, when the four living creatures give glory and honor and thanks, the 24 elders fall down and worship. So our job is to, is to catch that wave wave of adoration and glory. And that's what makes us significant. You know, when we turn in and focus on ourselves and try to craft our own identities, as we are encouraged to do in this culture, we just get mired down. We just get bogged down. Um, I heard one um, psychologist say, um, clinical psychologist, he said, there is no technical difference between thinking about yourself and being miserable. There's no technical difference between thinking about yourself and being... We did, we did not get created to think about ourselves all the time. That is not why we're here. We're here to adore. Everything is pointing towards the throne. And when we use our bodies, our whole bodies, our throat, you know, our hands, um, our, our, um, our eyes, our mind, um, every part of us, our, the, the noses, the smells, everything... Um, our ears. When we use our whole bodies to praise God, that's when we are free. That's when we are most, that's when we are ruling on the thrones. It's like, um, I went to the Paul McCartney concert and there were 33,000 fans and they had their phones out and they were swaying, they were singing, Hey Jude. And we were just like caught up in this huge, bigger than us, this kind of event. And that's just singing about like a person. They're singing about like a love song, Hey Jude. Um, so that's, that's nothing compared to the adoration of the four living creatures, which we are called to be a part of. So that's the throne. That is what reality is about. And when we remember that, it, it, uh, it changes our perception. It changes our experience of reality. It changes our feelings about reality. But now the second part is kind of where the surprise comes in. Um, because it, it, it begins with mystery. Like any good writer, he sets up this mystery in verse... One of chapter five, there is a scroll in the hand of the one on the throne. And again, he's being very careful to avoid uh, anthropomorphic language. It just says the one on the throne. Uh, There's a scroll in the hand of the one on the throne with writing on the inside and out. In other words, it's got a lot, there's a lot of writing on it. It's like double-sided and very small font. And it's a very long script because uh, this scroll... Again, hotly debated, scholars don't know exactly what to do with the scroll, but many think that it is the, the climax of God's story. This is, the, um, this is what the story is all about. It's, it, it unlocks the meaning of history. And so it says in verse 1 that it's tightly sealed with seven wax seals. And seals were things that you put wax on something and you stamped it with a signet ring. It's like the way you sometimes will close a letter and seal the letter. And this has seven seals, so it's top secret. It's like an unbreakable code. So in other words, there is a plot to history. There is a story out there, and we kind of know there is a story, but it's, it feels meaningless a lot because it's sealed. And it's, so there's, it feels like that a lot of pain is just random and senseless. And I have a friend right now who's going through so much pain, just wave upon wave of pain right now, it's hard for me to understand how this could be part of a story a good story, how there could be any script to that at all. You know, as Macbeth says when he is despairing of all of life, he says that life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. And that's what this experience is right here, because it says that John uh, wept bitterly in verse 4, uh, because nobody could open the scroll. Nobody could unveil the meaning of, of, of history, of what, what is it all about? Nobody could open that scroll. And so John is weeping bitterly. I mean, he's in exile. He was living in Ephesus with all these friends. He was the pastor of a church. He was very healthy. He had so many uh, close, intimate bonds with people. And now he's been exiled by Rome to an island by himself. And he's thinking, is this completely meaningless? He's just digging in the mines all day long. And he's just thinking, is there any meaning to this? And then there appears to be absolutely no sign of hope. Uh, there's no possibility that this ends well. And then, off on the horizon again, uh, he sees this thing that is coming, like the Allied fleet on D-Day. He sees this thing that is coming, and one of the mighty angels says, Stop weeping, John. Verse 5, Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And that means he's conquered uh, all of this uh, senseless evil, this meaningless pain. And uh, I love the way that C.S. Lewis describes his great lion, Aslan, in the Chronicles of Narnia. He says that he was good and terrible, with a golden mane and great, royal, solemn, overwhelming eyes. And that's what I imagine when I think of uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah, this powerful, majestic creature. The the king of the jungle, the most powerful animal on land, uh, like Simba or Mufasa in The Lion King, And so uh, this uh, lion alone can conquer Rome and Satan and the empire and make sense of history. And it says in verse 5, he is worthy to open the scroll and he begins to reign and he will end this war. That's what this uh, lion is about. And then here comes the, the twist ending. You know, you hear, you see a throne, these elders, these four living creatures, all these angels, this mighty angel crying out, uh, the lion is conquered, and you look around. And you're expecting to see this majestic king come striding out, like on a war horse or something like that. But then verse six says, "But between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders," which is interesting because he is among the elders, so he is human, but he's also um, on the throne, so he's God. So, this is, a, this is a unique creature, and I saw among the elders a lamb. I mean, the most gentle, uh, harmless creature there is. And not just a lamb, but a lamb who had been slaughtered. So, he's actually, if you can imagine an, an animal being slaughtered, that's what he's looking at. He heard that it was going to be a lion, but he looks and it's a lamb. And it's the strangest conquest in the history of warfare. Um, this harmless creature walking out on the battlefield, getting absolutely massacred, and in doing so, winning the war. And that's how, that's how God conquered evil, is by doing that. Um, it, it is the essence of reality, and that's what we've got to gaze upon. Um, because if Christmas is mostly nostalgia and longing for the past and, you know, chestnuts, Roasting and the family hearth. If that is what Christmas is essentially about, uh, then um, you know we're lost. That's that's not good news. If that's what Christmas is ultimately about, that's that's not good news. The good news is that uh, the best is yet to come, and we're waiting for this Lamb, who is conquered as a Lamb. Because in verse seven it says he stepped forward and he took the scroll, the slaughtered Lamb who came from among the elders. He ascends uh, to the throne. This is like the ascension. And he takes the scroll because he is strong enough. And a majestic throne by itself, you know, if God is just raw power, that doesn't really help me. That doesn't really comfort me. That doesn't make me wait with patience. If God is simply sheer power, uh, that's not good news. That's actually frightening. Um, neither does it help to say that Jesus is my best friend. You know, he's just my... BFF, and he comforts me, and he tries really hard to help me, and he listens really well. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but he can't actually get things done. When you combine the two things, the throne and then the lamb, and you bring them together, then we know that the one who is all-powerful, who controls history, who wrote the scroll, is actually one who came to dwell with us. He came to live in our pain, in our suffering, uh, in whatever Christmas feels like. That uh, the one who controls history is the one who died for you and who wants to live in you. The all-powerful lion is the gentlest lamb. And Advent is about worshiping him. It's about the carols that we're singing and just the wonder like of all this greenery and the lights. I love driving around uh, Ardmore and Buena Vista and just seeing the lights on the trees and the creativity and listening to carols at the same time. And that's that's being part of that tidal wave that's breaking. I love uh, in verse 8 that the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb with harps. Um, And so the worship is now not just from the Father, but the worship is now to the Son as well. The first wave that rolled through is to the Father, and now the second wave that rolls through is to the Son. And it gets even bigger. The first praise was for creation, and the second praise is for redemption. And now in this passage you see not only are there the living creatures and 24 elders but now you get the thousands and millions of angels in verse 11 so the angels and the archangels get up on their surfboards as well and they're doing like 360s and aerials and they're plunging down the face in that curl of the wave joining with everything else to praise God and then my favorite part people always ask me is my pet going to be in heaven you know kids y'all are always asking that question it's a great question and my answer is, not only is your pet going to be in heaven, your pet's going to be surfing that tidal wave of praise. In fact, they are leading you in praise. I mean, our dog praises God a lot more purely than we do. And it says in verse 13, and I didn't read any commentary that, that said this, so I'm kind of on my own here, but I think it's true, because it says, Every creature in the sky and on the earth and in the ground and in the sea So birds in the sky, all the beasts of the field, uh, all the bugs under the ground, and all the fish in the sea, even those weird ones down in the very depths that have all those lights, all of those creatures are going to be gathered around the throne and around the lamb, and they're praising God with us. And I I just imagine bringing all our pets into the sanctuary and them just kneeling around this table. I mean, imagine if you brought in your pet into the sanctuary and they kneeled. Um, whether it was like a bird or a dog or a cat or a mouse or a hedgehog, and they were all gathered around this table and they were kneeling down and they were singing like with all of their breath. Whatever sounds they can make, they're just praising the lamb. That's just a tiny picture. I mean, I can't wait to see dolphins and elephants and giraffes uh, praising God. Pelicans, storks, like praising God at the end of time. Um, they're not just in heaven, they're leading, they're, they're groaning. It says in Romans 8, they are groaning to be liberated from their bondage to decay, to join us in the glorious freedom of the children of God. And uh, of course, the table uh, is where the, the elders are the ones who are died for. I mean, the, the only one in that picture that gets died for, uh, the lamb has to be slaughtered for, are the humans. The angels don't need that, the four living creatures don't need that. Um, nobody needs that, the animals don't need that they haven't done anything wrong we're the ones who've done something wrong and God gets all the glory and praise by dying for us by taking all of our suffering, all of our sin all of our guilt into his own life and drawing us up into his life and that's what we celebrate at this table so on the night that he was betrayed uh, our Lord Jesus took bread which symbolized his broken body the slaughtered lamb of God, he took bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in memory of me. And then he took the cup, and he gave thanks and poured it out. He said, this is my blood, shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. So whenever we eat the cup, uh, eat the bread and drink from the cup, uh, we're proclaiming once again, again, uh, that Jesus is worthy to open the scroll because he died and with his blood he ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. All have been ransomed and that's what we celebrate at this table. And if you believe that, uh, come and receive uh, the kiss of your father. You know the way a father will sometimes kiss a child on their forehead. The Puritans said that this meal is the kiss of the father on our head. And so if you want that to be true, if you want to receive the kiss of your father, then come and Partake of this meal. All are welcome. But if you're not ready to do that, we're glad you're here. We want this to be a place where you are not manipulated or coerced or anything into coming and taking this meal. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, if you don't believe these things, we're so glad you're here, Uh, but feel no pressure to partake. And let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would glorify your Son and turn our face back towards the throne. We have spent too much time looking away, looking in our looking at our navel, navel-gazing, and just looking into ourselves and our feelings and how we're doing, and, um, and, and I pray that we could turn to your throne and join all the angels and archangels and the animals and the four living creatures and worship you, Lord. Make us able to worship you and turn away from ourselves and uh, enjoy you, enjoy you as much as they do, surfing that wave of adoration and praise and glory. Lord, um, as we wait for you, I pray that we could do that. And tonight, that 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 would be happening as we take this meal. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Love these rascals.